Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4a. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And you all, the families of the earth, shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Thanks be, uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Charla. You may be seated. We are in our second Sunday of our Lenten sermon series. And it uh, is entitled in an overarching sort of way, Out of Nothing, but we will kind of play with the title each week. This week we are going to hear a sermon that's entitled, Out of Options, Out of Options, and you'll see that it also has a subtitle. We're going to talk a little bit about the Lenten journey. And as you may have already anticipated, I want to start today talking about this Lenten journey by talking about Flappy Bird. Come on now. There we go. How many of you have ever played the game on your phone, your iPad, Flappy Bird? Okay. Some of you have played it. How many of you have mourned the loss of the game Flappy Bird? In fact, see, this is what happened. The designer, a guy whose last name is Wynn, this guy uh, actually just was under all kinds of pressure and actually took this game down. You can no longer find it, and you can find facsimiles on the, in the iTunes store, but you can't find Flappy Bird anymore. And here's what he said. This is a quote uh, from the International Business Review website. He said, Flappy Bird was designed to play in a few minutes when you were relaxed, the creator said, but it happened to become an addictive product. I think it has become a problem, and to solve that problem, it's best to take down Flappy Bird. It's gone forever. Because apparently you can get addicted to Flappy Bird, right? Truth of the matter is, the Lenten season is a great opportunity for us to take aim at whatever it is that might hold us captive. Now, it may be something as smallish as Flappy Bird. Now, I say smallish because I'm not addicted to Flappy Bird. But apparently, there are some people who were so addicted to Flappy Bird that they were actually willing to spend a lot of money to buy someone else's iPhone online that still had Flappy Bird on it. So maybe there were some people who were incredibly, incredibly addicted to this particular game. But, but Lenten, the Lenten season is that time of year set aside for us to explore how it is that we are held captive by who knows what? Because here's the thing that we know for sure. Whatever it is that holds you captive, whether it's food or some other substance that you're addicted to or some other something that you're addicted to or 
who knows what, whatever it is that holds you captive, by definition keeps you from being responsive to the voice and the call of God. So far, so good? So I need to ask you this question, and we're not going to answer it right out loud or anything, but I need you to be thinking about it as we move through the sermon today. The question goes something like this. What is it that holds me captive? What has power in my life? What is it that would keep me from saying yes if God were to say go? What is it that would keep you from saying yes if God were to say go? I need to tell you, I have worried about delivering this sermon for a couple of reasons. I don't want you to go, first of all. I don't want you to go, right? But the truth of the matter is, we need to be the kinds of, I'm gonna be looking for an amen at the end of this, so just, I'm just gonna make you aware of that, right? We need to be the kinds of people who are not tied down by whatever, so that when God says to do something, we actually have the capacity to do it, right? I think that's true. I, I, think, I think there are times when God says, go. And I think there are times when good Christian people say, no. So again, what is it that holds you captive? What is it that keeps you from going when God says, go? Now, truth of the matter is, I don't want you to go anywhere, but not all movements are geographical. I mean, it may be that as God says to you, go, he's not talking about you making a change that is geographical in nature, but maybe, maybe it's more difficult actually than that. Maybe it's philosophical in, in nature. Maybe it's theological in nature. Maybe it's your posture as you live your life. Maybe it's vocational in nature. Whatever the nature of the go, the question that we are asked to work on during Lent the question we're asked to work on during Lent has to do with captivity and what it is that would keep us from saying yes because you need to hear this and God knows this. I promise you God knows it. I know it so I know God knows it. God says go but oftentimes Christian people say no. So what is it? What is it that very well could be the source of your no? So the Lenten season, um, it's a journey. Now, I say, I say journey, and I want to make a distinction between a pilgrimage and a journey. A pilgrim, now, pilgrimages are good. When you take a pilgrimage, you typically are going somewhere to learn or discover something. Maybe you're going to remember or remind yourself of something. But typically in a pilgrimage, you come back. 
and you come back ready to apply what you have discovered or what you have learned or what you've remembered. You come back to apply that to your life, to enrich your life. Hear me say this. I think pilgrimages have their place, and I think they are good. I think they are good. If, if, if going to see a particular gravesite is a pilgrimage for you, but it keeps you rooted and grounded in the right sorts of ways, that is a good kind of pilgrimage, and we should do these good kinds of pilgrimages. But Lent is not a pilgrimage. The season of Lent is a journey. And journeys being what they are, are such that you can expect that you perhaps would not ever come back. During the season of Lent, I'm going to do the best I can to faithfully tell these stories. And during this season, we are using Old Testament scriptures that are typically stories. So I'm trying to do the best I can to faithfully retell these stories so that you can hear the God who says, go, And so that we all can try to develop the muscle capacity to go when God says go. To say yes when God says no. Pilgrimages and then journeys. Journeys are are something different. When a young couple gets married, like Jessica and Jordan did here last night on this platform, I see that as a journey. They're they're headed off to a journey. When when somebody changes jobs, when they go from one job to another, and we have a couple of folks in our congregation who have just upped and changed jobs, left one that's pretty solid, stable sort of job, but they went to do something else. That's sort of a, a journey. When folks immigrate to another country, that's a journey. That's not so much a pilgrimage. That's a journey. And there is something about this Christian life. There is something about this faith. There is something about the Lenten season that is journey and not pilgrimage. What God wants to say to you is this. Let's explore how it is that you're stuck. Let's explore whatever it is that keeps you from saying yes, a deep full-bodied yes to the go of God. Let's explore what that is. Let's put that on the altar so that when the voice and the call comes next time, you can actually go. Go. And we have a couple of different stories to help us kind of think through what this might mean uh, for us today. The, the first story, if I can get this to work, I'm sorry. What am I doing, Jason? Is it me? <laughs> our, our passage of Scripture is from the, chapter, the 12th chapter of Genesis, but we have to back up a little bit because you need to understand the, the situation into which we hear this word from God. So I'm going to back all the, way, all the way up to verse 27 in chapter 11. Now, these are the descendants of Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, who would eventually be known as Abraham. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, who eventually is going to be known as Sarah. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. <laughs> I don't know... The, the verse there, it's, it makes me chuckle a little bit. Not the part that she was barren, but just to sort of reinforce the point. 
the author of this verse says, now Sarai was barren. No, seriously, she had no child, right? Which was a really bad thing. There is great evidence, not just in the book of Genesis, but also in the book of Joshua, that this family was not yet a functioning family, participants in the, the religion that you and I today call Christianity, there's great evidence that they actually participated in a different system of belief altogether. The book of Joshua says that Abram and his descendants worshipped in the lands of the gods beyond the river. Well, those were all fertility cults. And in those fertility cults, to, to not be able to have children was a sign that you were cursed by the gods. So this story book, the book of Genesis, is so much about the story. And eventually, by the time you get to chapter 12 and even the end of chapter 11, it's a story of a family. But at this point, when you read 1130, now Sarai was barren and she had no child, this family tree is more of a stump. There is a stuckness here. There is a darkness here. There is a hopelessness here. There is a barrenness here. There's another fascinating uh, word here. Verse 32, you've already heard this word Haran. It's the name of a person, but it's also the name of a place. Verse 32, the days of Terah, father of Abram, were 205 years and Terah died in Haran, which means then that Abram, and Sarai are also, at least for some time, in this place called Haran, which actually means crossroads. If we were to interpret it, translate it into an English word, it would be said like this, Abram and Sarai were at a crossroads. Now what? They were stuck. There was a darkness to it. Now what do they do? This seems like a crossroads sort of moment, a really important moment. But when you're stuck, and when you're in that hopeless place, when you're in that barren sort of place, and some of you are, and it may have nothing to do with your capacity to have children, then what? Well, according to our same narrative, according to the Old Testament, according to our Bible, according to the New Testament, this place of stuckness, <laughs> this place of darkness and hopelessness, this is where you can expect that God will enter and speak. Some of you are stuck. Some of you know exactly what I mean when I describe a place of barrenness, darkness, hopelessness, but our story tells us that in those scenes, in those very same scenes, that's where you can expect for God to burst in and change something. And God does just that. Next. Now, you're at your crossroads here, Abram and Sarai. You're in a stuck place, so obviously what I want you to do is go. Now, this is no pilgrimage. <laughs> this is not what God is saying. God is not saying, hey, go for a while and come back and tell us what you found. Now, there are those kinds of trips in Scripture. This is not one of those trips. What God seems to be saying is time for a journey, destination as of yet not known. But let's go. 
Go from your country and your kindred. So go from the people who know you and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's an amazing thing. We'll come back to it. But I love this verse. So Abram went. (laughs) Someday when we're telling your story, The possibility exists, if someone is faithfully retelling your story, the possibility exists that they will come across this chapter that probably can be marked with words like gloom, barrenness, darkness, stuckness, right? I hope that that very same story might also include this surprising entrance of the voice of God who says go, and I hope somewhere in our stories that are going to be written someday, I hope somewhere in there there can be this line in here, so John went, so Doug went, so Cheryl went, so they as a body went. When God calls to us, when God calls out to us, when God calls us and we are in those stuck and dark and gloomy places, here's a couple of things you can know for sure. Number one, you can know for sure that God is trustworthy. That's a great place for an amen. Ready? One, two, three. Man, God is trustworthy. My, my friend Stan Toller has said it like this, uh, God has spent a lot of time building a reputation, he's not about to ruin it on you. (laughs) So one, God is trustworthy, but hear, hear this. When God says go, when God says go, and you go, the benefit will be experienced not just by you, the obedient one, but by those around you. Your obedience is like a very good rock thrown into a very good pond. When we baptize, there are a lot of things that we say. And last week we talked about one of those lines. We actually said, okay, we actually believe it. When Lisa asked the question, do you turn away from sin and sinfulness, those kids and those adults all say yes or we will not baptize them. And so we actually believe that at some point we have the capacity to turn away from sinfulness. And then we baptize and we bring them up and then Lisa or Jason or Mike or I will put our hands on someone, put our hands on their head and we will say, receive the Spirit. And in this Spirit, may you live and move and have your being. May you be filled with this grace because you will need all of that grace You'll need all of that grace to be able to live up to and into the commitments that you make in that water. But here's the thing. What you find out in the baptismal pool is that baptism is about something larger than your life story. What you're saying in the baptismal pool is that you are joining willingly and voluntarily joining into the story that God is writing. And you understand your life now is a chapter in God's God's larger story. You're a chapter in God's larger story. And so... Grace, the Spirit, is available to us 
And when we make good use of this grace and this spirit made available to us, can you see this? Can you see this? The world changes for the better. The world changes for the better when you take seriously that you have the capacity to tap into this spirit, to tap into this grace of God. And when you live faithfully the story of God, when you live faithfully the story of God, things will get better around you. Life is a better opportunity to look like God dreams for it to be. You hear me say this every once in a while. I miss working with teenagers, and part of the reason is, part of the reason is uh, that their life circumstances are such that they don't have mortgages. It's really fun to preach to people who don't have mortgages. Now, it's really fun to preach to people who do have mortgages, too. But you understand my point. Who will hear the go, especially when they understand that the go might mean go. It might mean go far, and it might mean going away. Young people, sometimes when you help them to hear the voice of God and they hear the voice of God say go, here's the thing, sometimes really young people go on a journey. And that's a good thing. Now you've heard me say it too. Sometimes the change is geographical in nature, but it might, it might be vocational in nature. You just, you just never know. But it doesn't have to be vocational in nature. It doesn't have to be geographical in nature. In fact, we have another story that's made available to us today. It's the story of Nicodemus. who's very, very curious about this Jesus. He's anxious to hear what Jesus has to say. But he's a little bit frightened about the implications of meeting with Jesus. So he comes to Jesus at night, and they have this incredible meeting. And now, I'm going to tell you this story because I I believe this as well. It is possible that God, when God says go, that God is calling you out of a hopeless, darkness, gloomy place. And it is possible that that go will mean a vocational change or a geographical change. But maybe it means a different kind of change. And we think this is the kind of change that God opened up, at least possibility-wise, for Nicodemus, maybe it's a different kind of change. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now we have heard that as we've grown up our whole lives. We've heard it as born again. But I want you to watch this. Maybe for our whole lives too, we have thought that this being born again had to do with securing our eternity in heaven somewhere else after we die. And so we've understood that being born again as being somehow connected to our innumerable days spent in heaven. And I'm not here to tell you that's not true. I am here to tell you that it's more than that. I'm I'm buying this whole heaven thing. I am. I'm buying all of it. It makes perfect sense to me that the God who authors life can author anything he wants. Right? But when Jesus uses the language of kingdom of God, when scripture gives us the language of kingdom of heaven, we are not then talking about heaven after you die. We're talking about Oklahoma City 2014. 
Okay, good. That's good. That's good. Then what does born again mean? Right? If we keep tracking it back then, if we understand then this kingdom has to do with the here and now and the potential life that is possible for individuals and for congregations here and now, if that's what we're talking about when we talk about kingdom of God, then what does it mean to be born again? Born from above. Jesus thinks it's pretty important, so important that he would say this to Nicodemus, I tell you, no one can even see this kingdom that I'm talking about unless of God without being born from above. How can anyone be born after having grown old? Nicodemus is struggling with this. In fact, Nicodemus struggles with this throughout the third chapter of God, third chapter of God, third chapter of John, and Jesus is kind of hard on him. I mean, you even get to the point where Jesus seems to be mocking him. We're going to get to that part here in a little bit, but I can kind of hear almost the sarcasm in Nicodemus' voice as he said, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born, Jesus? Riddle me this. <laughs> then Jesus follows up with, look, I'm telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Let's tell a tale about Nicodemus here a little bit. Nicodemus is... Uh, by the testimony of Scripture, we can know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now, we've covered a little bit of this ground recently, but I think it's worth covering again. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. The Roman occupying army had so thoroughly occupied this part of the world that it started to actually affect the way that people were religious. It affected the way that people followed God. In fact, it seemed to have divided people into these three groups, these Jewish folks. You have the zealots and they actually sought some sort of violent overthrow of the Roman army. We can do it. Let's get all of our knives and pocket knives together and all that kind of stuff. Let's overthrow the Roman occupying army. There was actually one of these guys on the roster of disciples. His name was Simon. And then there were the Sadducees who essentially said, they're here to stay. We might as well go along and get along. That's what the Sadducees said. Whatever. The Pharisees said, we must maintain our peculiarity, our distinctiveness, and we will do it by making sure that we elevate to the highest place of authority these laws that make us us, that help us to remember who God is. And so we will make sure to measure everyone by all of these laws because that's what faith is. It's the institutionalization of faith. So Nicodemus was not just a Pharisee, he was apparently a well above average Pharisee a leader amongst the Jews. <laughs> but he could sense something in the life, the voice, the message of this Jesus. He could sense something, and he had to know more. Jesus understood himself. This is so important. Hear this. Jesus understood himself as the tangible, the touchable evidence of the kingdom of God now in place and at work right here among us. There was a time when the people understood the temple as this place of great overlap between the kingdom of heaven. Now understand heaven not as so much up there somewhere, but understand heaven as wherever God is. And then the kingdom of earth, 
And don't understand earth as necessarily down, but understand earth as where man is. So kingdom of heaven where God is, earth, kingdom of earth where man is. There was a point in our history when we understood the temple as that place of great overlap where mankind would have access to God and God would have access to God's people, mankind. But then the temple was destroyed and the people were in we're in hysterics, like, now how will we have access to God? But God seems to have said throughout that time, I didn't need the temple to have access to you. But hear the words of Jesus as Jesus refers to himself as the temple. Jesus referred to himself as the temple saying, yes, in and through me, you have access to God. But listen to this too, God has access to you. There is a tangibility to the presence of God when you're in the midst of Jesus. So Jesus brought this kingdom already in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Already, folks like John the Baptist has said, look out, turn around, take a look, because the kingdom of heaven is now, it's here. Jesus constantly was trying to give them indications and evidences that this kingdom, this kingdom they had all talked about and prayed about and sung about and ached for and hoped for, it's now, it's here, it's me, Jesus would say. But you're not going to see it. You're not going to see this kingdom of God until you're reborn from above. Here's another way to understand what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus in a voice that must have sounded a whole lot like the voice of God to Abram. Here's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Ready? Go. Go. Move. <laughs> Unhinge. <laughs> Move out away from this old understanding of faith that is rooted first and foremost in authority. Up, move, get away from all of that. Journey, journey with me, says Jesus to Nicodemus, and by the way, to us. Journey with me, says Jesus. Let's be freed from all this other stuff that keeps us stuck in this ugly understanding of what it means to be religious, institutionalized even, <laughs> Let's be rid of all of that and let's move into a new way of understanding God and relationship with God that is better understood like the wind as opposed to the laws. What Jesus offers to Nicodemus is relationship where Nicodemus his entire life had rooted his faith in rules. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he's stuck. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, man, you're stuck. And you're going to stay stuck until you let go and allow yourself to be blown wherever this wind of the Spirit wants to blow you until you fix yourself to this Spirit, until you are in relational contact with this God who is where you are, until you let go of that and then grab hold of this, this relationship, this wind, this grace. You have no idea what you're talking about. 
Sometimes when we're asked to move, it's a vocational move. It is. Sometimes when we're asked to move, it's a geographical move. And, and, and sometimes the call of God comes and it, and it sounds a whole lot like this. Go, go. And it has been my great honor and privilege to serve at this church and to watch as many times over the years there have been people who have heard this call to make geographical changes because they've heard God say no. And perhaps say no, man. They've heard God say go when they were in dark and stuck places. At places probably best described as crossroads, really important times. And this church has seen the witness and the testimony of people who have said, yes, I will go because God says go. Where are you going? I'm not sure, but God said go, and I'm going to go. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep following that voice. I love that. Sometimes there are people in the room who've actually made vocational changes because God said go. Now, they didn't change geographies, but it has happened that people have understood something about this God that they didn't understand before, and because they understood something, they finally were able to hear as God said, yeah, not here, over here, go. And sometimes people, this is crazy, but sometimes people go. But to all of us, if those words have come to some of us, the words that say go, make a change geographically, or make a change vocationally, if those words have come to some of us, then there is no doubt in my mind that to all of us, to all of us have come these words. Let the Spirit take you and move you wherever the Spirit wants to move you. Root your life of faith in your relationship with God. Go. Now, for some in the room, that will be a significant change. To root one's life in this relationship with God that right here where I stand, I find a little bit hard to quantify or qualify. And yet I hear this Jesus saying to Nicodemus, who, and I assume that God is also saying to me, go and allow God to reconstitute your life of faith I don't know what that's going to look like, God. I don't, I don't know where I'll end up. Now you're talking. Now you're on to something. You see, because during Lent, during Lent, we try to take aim at anything, anything creates noise in your life that keeps you from hearing the whispering voice of God because the whispering voice of God sometimes says, go. And while the change may not be geographical in nature, it might be, but it, it might not be. While the change might not be vocational in nature, it could be, but it might not be. The change will also, will always be toward relationship with God. 
always, always will be toward relationship with God. And so the things, the things, the things that you will draw a bead on in your life right now that keep you from being free to say, okay, I'll go, those same things are keeping you from a level of intimacy with God that God desires, that God desires where you're concerned. So what is it? In a church, in a church, and for a gathered up group like us, sometimes it's, we've never done it this way before. Or, it's cousin, we've always done it like this, right? Because this is not just an individualistic thing that we're talking about here. It's also a gathered up corporate body sort of thing. In our board meeting, in a board meeting not too long ago, here's a statement that was made with reference to our going ahead and, and, and voting like we already have to go into debt to finish this building. Here's a statement that was made. Well, good. Finally, we'll make a step of faith because we haven't managed to make a, make a step of faith yet. Well, that's interesting. So you mean it's possible then for a group of people and not just an individual it's possible for a group of people to listen intently for the voice of God to hear the go and then go. And it's not just about debt, is it? It's about mission. It's about ministry. It's about neighbors and neighborhoods. It's about who we're going to be on Northwest Expressway for the next several decades. I tell you who we've got to be on Northwest Expressway for the next several decades, we gotta be the people who go. But we will never be better as a group than we are as individual believers. I'll close with the line that I used to begin. What keeps you from saying, okay, I'll go? And if somehow you're able to identify whatever it might be that keeps you from being able to say, okay, I'll go, well, at least now you have something to pray about. We're about to take communion. I am not sure where this journey will lead. I am sure that you're going to need to be well-nourished on the way. <laughs> so if you're helping us to serve communion, if you'll go ahead and come on up. Dear Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And with this bread and with this cup, God, strengthen us. At the very least, God, strengthen us to be able to hear your voice. Strengthen us so that we can at least consider when we hear this word, go. Strengthen our resolve, God, so that we'll have the capacity to do as you call us to do, whether that means a geographical change, a vocational change, maybe a life posture change, maybe a change in the way that we go about relationships, Maybe a change in the way that we go about relationship with you. May we not be like those who choose the security 
of captivity. But may we risk the terrifying freedom brought by grace. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, ask you to exit your pews to the left and come forward and receive food and drink for the journey. (laughs) That's what it will be for us today, food and drink for the journey. Food and drink that will strengthen you to hear, to consider, and maybe even to respond to the word that you will hear from God today. Come with your hands ready to receive You don't need to grab it. We will put it straight into your hands. And when you receive it into your hands, then go ahead and take it. Dip it right then and there into the cup and eat. When you receive the bread, someone will say, the body of Christ broken for you. When you dip it in the cup, someone will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and eat right then and there. And then you sort of have a crossroads experience there. Where will you pray? These altars are always available for people at a crossroads, always. These healing altars, these padded altars at the sides will always be available for someone who's in need of a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing for you. Maybe you'll choose to go ahead and circle all the way back to your seat, but if you do choose to circle all the way back to your seat, I hope you will still maintain a posture of prayer one way or another. Because it might be, it might be that God's been trying to get through to you for a long time. It might be that in your dark and barren, hopeless place, it might be that if you just had ears to hear it, it might be that right then and there you could hear the voice of God. Church, let's not be the folks who choose the security of captivity because it's familiar to us. Let's be the people who will risk the terror, the terror of liberating grace. Dear Heavenly Father, now move us to these places and prepare us for the journey with these very important elements of broken body and shed blood. All across the sanctuary now, I want to invite you to stand and exit to the left, if you're in need of a gluten-free option, then Jordan will have that all the way at the back. If you need for us to come to you, then Jason's going to be on the lookout. Just slip up a hand, and he will come to you. But take and eat and be strengthened today. Heavenly Father, we recognize that the invitation comes to all of us. We recognize, Lord, that we are a lot like those people who at times, and we even see it in Scripture, there were people who were oftentimes intimidated into choosing the security of captivity as opposed to embracing the possibilities of grace and freedom. 
Father, we confess that we too have that same capacity to make an idol out of the way things have always been. We too have the capacity to make an idol out of comfort and even security. Not that those things are bad, God, but there are times when we act as if they are ultimate. And when we act as if words and concepts like safety and security and the way we've always done it, when we act like those have ultimate power, it's in those moments, God, that we know that we are least likely to be able to hear your voice, particularly when you say go, when you say move, when you say change. And yet, you're the God who says go. You're the God who said to Abram and Sarai, go. So often you said to the people of Israel, go, keep going. You're the same God who said to Nicodemus, go, though it would not mean for Nicodemus a geographical change, it was a change nonetheless, a difficult change. And to all of us who sort of understand Nicodemus today, the word is the same, and that word is go. Go. God, help us to be those people who are so sensitive to your voice. Help us to be those people who use a season like Lent to develop our senses so that we can hear you when you whisper. Help us to be those people who are willing to embrace what's next. I guess what we're saying, God, is help us to see that we are a part of a much larger story. Give us some idea, God, of what it is that you're trying to do so that we can see how we fit in. And God, surround us with people who can help us, who can help us to develop that capacity to listen and then do, to listen and then go, no matter what go might mean. Surround us with these people, God, people who will cheer us on and encourage us and help us to think through and sort through all that you have already tried to say and do in and through us. Thank you for a season like Lent, and God, may we participate as whole-bodied people, may we participate. And in and through the days of Lent, may we develop the capacity to choose against the bad or the confusing or the chaotic or the safe. But instead, God, help us to develop the muscle to choose the good or the grace, even if at times it seems unsafe. God, help us to know what it means to live by the Spirit. Though so many of us can identify so deeply with Nicodemus who did not yet seem to understand what it meant to live by the Spirit, we want to know. We want to know what it means to live by the Spirit.
God, we bring to your attention those that we know to be sick or in pain, in, in pain that, that may be physical in nature or it may be relational. It could be some other kind of pain. But God, we will pause right now and bring to your attention those who are hurting due to disease or injury or any other kind of pain. So would you pray right now, as specifically as you know how, for that person in pain? And now would you pray as specifically as you know how for your church that we would continue to be a place that fosters the capacity to listen and then go. Father, so many traveling today, please protect them. So many traveling throughout this week, protect them all. Bring us all back together safely. And God, when we are together, may we be as diligent as we know how to be to continue to develop the capacity to hear you and the capacity to be obedient when we have heard you. Continue to teach us what it means to pray this prayer that we pray every week. And God, as we pray this prayer, may it take up more and more ground where our minds and hearts and imaginations are concerned so that at some point, God, we will pray this prayer and live fully into it. So I want to invite you now, as we close in prayer, to pray the Lord's Prayer with me and we will use the language of debts and debtors. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit okcfirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.